Well, today we're studying Mark chapter 9, verse 30 to 50. I'm wrapping up uh, chapter 9. And as you know, last week I deviated for a week to talk about abortion and the culture of life. Uh, really quickly, by the way, I'm going to do that this year um, a number of times. I'm going to break away from uh, the book of Mark to talk about um, a biblical response to cultural issues. And I'm not doing it just because we're supposed to respond all the time. I just think we've gotten to a point where it's so confusing, and even Christians have become inflammatory. And so I think it's important for me to talk some of you off the edge. That would be important. You know who you are. But through a biblical lens that we would look at all of the things that are going on in our society and that we would land on God's heart, uh, in God's word. And so I'm going to do my best to to bring messages that I think um, bring clarification and clarity to the things that we all are facing uh, as we live life in this world. So I just wanted you to be prepared for that. There's no political agenda. Pastor Ben has not changed. Um, but yes, moral issues touch politics every day of our life, and that's just how it is. And so I think the, the best way for us to go about that is to talk openly and honestly in this room uh, as we gather so that we get God's heart. Amen? Amen. All right, it's going to happen, guys. It's coming to a church near you. <laughs> Be ye prepared. All right. My message today is called The Path of true greatness, the path of true greatness. Uh, We've looked already at the first part of Mark chapter 9, and Jesus had just cast a demon out of a young boy who was suffering with more than oppression. There was true demon possession. And this was, of course, after Jesus had come down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. The disciples asked Jesus after this had happened why they couldn't cast the demon out of the boy. And Jesus indicated to them that this kind can only come out by prayer. And the book of Matthew adds fasting. This kind, there's a kind of demon that you're dealing with in this particular situation. And this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. And so now Jesus and his disciples, they're heading back to Capernaum. That's where we're going to pick up the story because Jesus is going to teach them some really important lessons. And I think it's relevant for us today as well. And here's what it says, starting in verse 30, Mark chapter 9. From there, they went out and began to go through, through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the son of man is to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand the statement, and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was the greatest. (laughs) Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Taking a child, he set him before them, and taking him into his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. Whoever receives me does not receive me, but him who sent me. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not hinder him, for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ Truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, 
he had been cast into the sea. For some reason in my mind, I just said, ouch. I just, that's, I don't know. I don't know if you're like me. You read this and you really think about it. Wow. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands go into hell, into the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. There's a whole lot going on in this passage, but I want to say something to you up front, and I mean this. I mean it with all my heart. You have true greatness in you. Say amen. amen. There's a many of you did not say amen there. You have true greatness in you. The the real question, though, after I say that, is what do we believe that true greatness really is? This is a comment that gets said in our culture all the time. You're great. You're truly great. You're amazing. You're awesome. But we have to wonder, what do we mean by that? What does the culture mean? What do we mean? What does Jesus mean when we talk about greatness? The waters are very muddy, aren't they? I was thinking about a young girl in our church. I see her. Uh, she's maybe four five, something like that. I see her every week, almost every week, and uh, her parents are in the room. I didn't ask you if I could say this, so I'll leave her name out. God bless you. <laughs> but she comes up to me, and she's so sweet, and she's so kind, and, and, um, and I always look at her, and I say, hey, I want you to know that you're amazing, or sometimes I'll say, you're awesome, and here's her response without fail. I know. <laughs> you know who you are. I know. And I love the fact that she's aware that she's amazing. And, uh, and it's funny to me because uh, I just, first of all, I, love, I want our kids to, to believe that about themselves, not in a self-absorbed sort of way, but just the fact that they could delight in the love of another, particularly in their family, where someone says, you're great, you're amazing, and they really just buy into that and they say, thank you, uh, as a result of that, and they grow up with a greater confidence. I pray that is our way in the world, but our culture, when we reflect on what they mean by greatness and the pursuit of greatness in our world today, they probably mean impressive. They probably mean rich or well-known or social media famous or gifted. That's what it is. To be truly great means you're more gifted or you're smarter than anybody else in the room. And that's, that's what we aspire to. And even if that's not what we're saying, it is possible that that's what's underneath everything. This path of true greatness in our world today, in our culture is, is really about us. It's all about us. And Jesus doesn't teach that at all. I was just kind of thinking about some people that we think of as great in our culture uh, and I want to show you some pictures here. So if you guys could throw those up at any time, that would be great. If they're not going to come up, I'll tell you who they are. I'll tell you who they're... Oh, this guy. Does anybody like basketball? Do you know who this is? Steph Curry. He's, he's fantastic. This guy can shoot more threes than anybody. Uh, we think of people that are incredibly gifted. What about the next guy? Look at that. That look just got me. That look just got me. LeBron James. You know... Um, I was watching a thing on him, like a documentary. It was kind of a mini, a mini film. 
and they said that he spends a million dollars for his physical conditioning, like nutrition and all, and, and all the people around, his team around him. It's a million dollars to stay in that shape. So when we think about true greatness, we look up to these like cultural icons. What, who else do we have? I don't even remember. Who else do we have? Okay. We think, we think of people that occupy positions of power. We think of the president and the vice president. You know, these, this is greatness. Greatness is when you achieve that, that place where you get to tell everybody what to do because that's what true power is, right? It's, it's, to be a, it's to tell everybody what to do. So we think of, of these positions. What else? Who else do we think of? Oh, what about this guy? The guy that's buying up all of America right now. Just, okay, well, I'll talk you off the ledge. Bill Gates, creator of Microsoft. Multi-millionaire. This is a guy who's rich. This is a guy who's well-known, right? People think of him as a philanthropist, but he's a very rich person. It's like, yes, I want to be rich. I want to be like Bill Gates. Who else do we got? We think, yeah, come on. What's the rock cooking? Okay. This guy is so small, I can barely see him, you know? Seriously. I bet if he preached, you could hardly pay attention though. Seriously. It'd be one of those things. Better wear a baggy shirt, buddy. All right. Anyways, keep going. Too soon? Will Smith has always been one of my favorite actors, by the way. I don't know what he did, but anyhow. Uh, the comedians, we think these guys are the funniest, right? These guys are the funniest. These are the best actors. Like they're, they're the greatest in their field. Who else? Who else do we got? Yeah, buddy. You guys remember this guy? Some of you are a little older. I would have reached deeper. I could have done the Bob Dylans and the, you know, the Beatles and all that for you. I could have done that, and uh, I didn't. Sometimes I, I tell on myself, uh, and, and I do that because I'm just not impressive, and I want to, to, to make sure that you know who I really am. When I was a boy, and I listened to uh, uh, Michael Jackson, I, I don't remember if my parents let me or not, but we did. Michael Jackson was like really popular. By the way, before Michael Jackson, worldwide music was not a thing. It was this guy, his music was spread across the world, and now all of our artists today can have a worldwide platform. Um, it started with this guy. It wasn't like not a, an international thing before Michael Jackson. It's really uh, crazy. But when I was a boy, I had a baseball glove, and I would put on a baseball glove and try to moonwalk in our kitchen. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. You guys can act like you've never done nothing weird before. Remember my mom walking in probably like, what are you doing? Nothing. I'm just getting ready for baseball. I'm just getting ready for baseball. Just what I'm going to do after I hit a home run, you know? <laughs> we look up to these people, you know what I mean? We, we, we think of greatness and we think of like people that are the greatest in their field. Like those people are great. Those people are amazing. Those people are awesome. In our culture, we prop up all these people, but you know what? I don't know any of these folks in terms of where they're at with God. I don't know them personally. I don't, I'm, so I won't, I won't say either this or, or that. I can't say that. Uh, so I don't know where they're at with the Lord. But I do know that a lot of our actors and our movie stars, our musicians, a lot of these people that have this wealth and this fame, I don't know if you realize this, but suicide rates are high. Anxiety is some of the highest. So with great wealth and with great notoriety and with great fame comes an incredible burden that you do not see in the videos, you will not know about it because it's not the thing that sells. It's not the thing that people want to talk about. Usually when their time is done with whatever their career was, that's when they talk about the consequence 
of what it was, what they had as a result of being in that position or that place. But see, what I'm trying to say is culture points to the position. Culture points to the place. Culture points to this thing like when we've really made it, if, if, we're really, if we want to aspire to greatness, we want to be better than other people. That's the cultural message. That's what greatness is, is to be the best. It's to be better than. It's not about being faithful to. It's about being better than. And Jesus has an entirely different perspective about greatness, but the disciples are about to learn that. And it isn't the first time where they have this argument about who the greatest is and this teaching from Jesus. But I want to point out a couple things that I think will help us as Jesus sought to help them. The first is this. True greatness means that we serve others. True greatness means that we serve others. So Jesus and his disciples, they embark on a 50-mile private journey from Mount Hermon back to Capernaum. That's how far th that they're going. And so this is a long walk for Jesus to give a lot of teaching. And one of the things he does is he reminds them of what he's already said. You remember, here's the plan of salvation, guys. I wanna remind you, I told you before, I'm gonna tell you again. And he does it again and again. He does it at least four times it's recorded. He says, I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna be rejected, I'm gonna be killed, and then I'm gonna rise again three days later. The disciples have no idea what to do with this. And verse 32 says they did not understand and they were afraid to ask him about it. They didn't get it and they were afraid to ask him about it. Quick note, Jesus welcomes our sincere questions. He welcomes them. You will not find a passage in the Bible where Jesus ever rebuked a sincere question from a true seeker. He did not do that. Jesus rebuked people when they questioned him, not asked a question to him. There is a difference. And so I would say to you today, if you have questions, you're in good company. He longs for us to come to him in all honesty and sincerity and say, Lord, I struggle with this. I don't understand this. There's no reason for us to be quiet. The Bible is that place that we go to and we can talk to God as we seek him through prayer. But here's what we see. During their walk, the disciples start this discussion about who was the greatest among them. Clearly, they did not have this discussion with Jesus, and they did not say these things in earshot of him. And we know that because at some point when they come into the house, when they get to their destination, and Jesus is sitting down, or it seems that he's there sitting down, they're resting and relaxing, he says, what are you guys, what were you guys discussing? <laughs> what were you guys talking about? You know what they say to him in response? Nothing. The book right here in this text, they didn't even respond. It's like a child that got caught. What are you doing? And they don't say a word. They don't want to incriminate themselves. And so the disciples said nothing. But there's probably a few reasons why they were talking about them being so great. I mean, I'm not saying they're rational or right. I'm just telling you there's probably a few reasons. The first is the three disciples, Peter, James, and John, they were up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I just have a lingering suspicion that they were asserting their awesomeness to the rest of the boys. I just think they were probably saying, you know, we saw some amazing things on the mountain that you guys clearly do not know about. And Jesus told us that we can't tell other people about it. So we won't tell you other than to say we were there. We had a front row seat. You guys were on the bottom of the mountain, and I doubt you saw anything except for that lingering glory. Did you guys, did you guys see that, the shine, the Shekinah that was shining from the top of the mountain? You probably saw that, didn't you? Yeah, we were right there. We were. We were right there. But we can't talk about it. 
But clearly there's a reason for us being on the top of the mountain and you nine being on the bottom of the mountain. Now I'm just, this is the BIV. This is my version. I think they were saying these kind of things. I do. So I don't know who won out of them, Peter, James, and John, but I think those three had reasons to assert their awesomeness. But I also think as Jesus is teaching them that he's going to die, they don't understand any of this. They definitely don't have a paradigm for resurrection. I'm going to die and rise from the dead. They're like, huh? But I have a suspicion that they were probably talking about who was next in line. If Jesus dies, which one of us is going to be the leader? I mean, God forbid that ever happens. I mean, I don't understand any of that, but he keeps telling us he's going to die. And maybe John or maybe Peter, Peter, maybe Peter, Peter's like, I think, you know what, guys, I'll take that role. I'll lead. I'll lead on your behalf. I, I know you guys don't want to say it, but we all know it's going to be me. I, I think that I'm the one that's most qualified. Jesus said that. I mean, he didn't say it exactly, and he didn't say it directly, and he didn't tell you guys that, but I'm pretty sure I'm reading between the lines where he's looking at me and he's winking occasionally. I think he's trying to say, Peter, you're next in line. When Jesus asked the question, they were all silent. I think they were embarrassed. They were caught. They were afraid to say anything to Jesus because they knew, they knew that if they said the truth, that Jesus would openly rebuke them. He has a habit of doing that when they uh, say the things that they're saying. He's correcting them um, honestly and openly. And I love that about, uh, about Jesus. The disciples lived in a culture where status mattered. It mattered in society, it mattered in their family, it, it mattered in religion as well. Uh, they were immersed into an ideology of wanting success, and success was defined by how other people see you. That's how success was. Whether it was in your business or whether it was in Judaism, it was all about how other people see you. Look at the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to be seen by others rather than just in relationship and obedience to God. That's what Jesus rebuked. That's what Jesus challenged again and again, that this religion, this toxic religion that had formed was all about them being seen and not about God being known. That's what toxic religion looks like. And look at how they're entering into it. How do we know that? Because this conversation tells me that what they were seeking was prominence rather than significance. Now, the difference between the two is prominence is I want to be seen. I want to be known. It's not that just I want to matter. We all want to matter. We all want to be loved. We all want to be liked. We all want to have significance in family. That's not sin and that's not wrong, but they wanted to be more than that. They wanted to be prominent. I want to be looked up to. I want to be admired. I want to be better than other people. If it's smart, I want to be the smartest. If it's religious, I want to be the most religious. Whatever it is, it was a pecking order system. And Jesus says something to them that we have to absorb uh, into our heart as well. The difference between prominence and significance. Significance is that we matter. Prominence is that we matter more. That's the difference. He says, if anyone wants to be first, like you guys talking about being great, you need to be, you shall be last of all and servant of all. If that's your true path, if that's your true pursuit, if that's what you want, then you have to realize what it is that looks like in the kingdom. But Jesus wasn't slaying ambition wholesale. He was not offended by their ambition. I, I just want to say the Bible in Philippians chapter two says that we should not have selfish ambition. 
To be an ambitious person, in our culture, we say that person's really driven. That person has a strong drive. Friend, I think a lot of people in our world today could could have a little bit more of a drive, if you want to be honest about it. I think that today it's not wrong to be driven. It's not wrong to be motivated. The question is, what motivates us? The question is, what drives us when we get up in the morning? If what we get out of bed, if the substance of why we get out of bed points back to ourselves, Jesus has something to say to us. If, if what fuels us is always what points back to us, then Jesus is confronting us just like he's confronting them. He's not talking about having ambition. He's talking about the misguided, selfish ambition that he's hearing in their conversation. So he wants to reprioritize their value system because the wrong path equals the wrong pursuit. There's two paths here, paths to greatness. One is worldly greatness. The other one is greatness in the eyes of God. It really matters who defines greatness and who you're living for. If you're living for God, it's going to look different what you're pursuing and what that path is. If you're living in the eyes of others and what you get from them rather than what you're giving to them, then you're going to end up in the wrong place every single time. And so Jesus does something very unique. He takes a child into his arms. And he says, whoever receives this one child like this in my name, and he's, can you imagine him holding and hugging a child? Whoever does this receives me. See, in their world, children did not have status. In fact, they had a very high mortality rate. There was no status. There was no benefit. These children were the least. Jesus pulls in front of them the least, and he makes this comment, whoever receives this one, whoever serves this one, whoever sets their focus on this one, whoever cares about this one, well, they receive me. They're focused on me. They're living before me. They didn't understand this. They were like, what is going on right now? Jesus wasn't just saying that we need to serve people. He was saying that we should want to serve people and serve even the least of what everybody else thinks about that. The people in the world that think these are the least and this is the thing that's not worth doing, usually that's the thing that Jesus is pointing out, that's what I want you to do. It requires sacrifice. It requires getting over what other people think about what we're doing. This is what's most important. So in the same way that they were motivated to be greater, he wanted them to be motivated to serve. That's true greatness. True greatness also means that we welcome others. Look at verse 38. John hears what Jesus has to say, and this is his response. He says, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him. We tried to stop him. We tried to stop the show. Why? Because he wasn't following us. Now, sometimes people throw John under the bus for bringing this up, but I actually think John was bringing this up in response to what Jesus was teaching. In other words, I think that we did something wrong, and so let me tell you what we did, and then he probably took a step back and let Jesus say what he's going to say. At this point, the disciples know this. If I bring up what I did or what I said, Jesus is not going to have a problem correcting me if he needs to. So you see, they were silent before, but now when they're hearing all this teaching, I believe that this is an honest confession from John. And he says, Jesus, listen, there was a guy casting demons. We didn't know him. We didn't understand who, what he was exactly doing because he wasn't with us. So we prevented him. We prevented him. He's asking a question while he's giving a confession. And Jesus says back to him, do not hinder him for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. 
This is a crazy statement. It's hard to understand. In other words, I'll just take it sort of at face value here. Jesus is saying that if somebody is doing a miracle in my name and they see the power of God displayed, something miraculous is eventually going to happen in them as well. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. Don't prevent him. Don't stop him. You should welcome him because those that aren't against us are for us. People who pursue true greatness are not in competition. They work together when it comes to following Jesus. Think about this. Not that long ago, the nine disciples have a father bring their demonized son. They try to cast the demon out and they can't. Just a week later or so, they're traveling on on a road somehow, or it's just right around this time, and they see some guy they don't know casting out demons. Maybe he has a level of success, and they're probably, let's just say it, they're probably jealous. We were not able to do that just recently, and now we see this other person. It looks like they might have success. Let's prevent them. What was in their heart that caused them to want to prevent somebody from doing something good? And so John brings it up and Jesus says, don't do that. And here's why. Servants are not threatened by other servants. The crown that Jesus gives to us at the end of our life is not in comparison to what other people have achieved. It's his reward for our faithfulness and what he's called us to do. The disciples are trying to prevent someone else's ministry because they weren't following them because they had a pecking order of who's who and who's greater than who. Can you see that scaffolding start to develop? We have observed it in the Pharisees and now it's starting to build into the disciples. And Jesus warned them about the leaven of the Pharisees. Do you remember that? He says, be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It will start to permeate your life if you let it. The religious spirit will get a hold of you and you will start looking down on people. And now all of a sudden, you will use this relationship that you have with me to lord it over other people. And that is the exact opposite of what you ought to be doing. I've called you to serve. I've called you to love. And even the least of these, because you know what they did? They forgot who they were. This is a tax collector. This is, these are fishermen. There's a zealot in there. And there's a couple of people, we have no idea who they were. <laughs> Don't you love that? That's just part of the crowd. They're just random citizens, amen? We'd have no idea what they did in life. They're people that Jesus pulled out of life. They were not significant in their day necessarily. They all had issues. They all had a past. They all had regrets. They all had problems. They all had stigma, Jesus called them out, and now all of a sudden, they're starting to feel a certain way about their life. They're starting to feel like, you know, I'm close to Jesus. I mean, there's only 12 of us. And Jesus is saying, you guys, I mean, you guys are full of judgment and jealousy. That's what happens in comparison and competition. I don't know that we dismiss other people. I don't know if I could relate to everything in this passage. I don't dismiss people because they're not part of our church or they're not with me or whatever. So it's a little bit different for for me personally. But sometimes we judge Jesus's servants because they're different then, not just a part of us. Like they're different. They do things different. They say things different. And I don't mean heresy. I just mean style and preference. And we have our judgments and our traditions teach us these types of things. But we judge people when we're jealous. We judge people because we're offended and we judge people because we're fearful. Comparison brings jealousy and it brings judgment and it will destroy us, comparison. Paul even said not to do it. He was very clear about that. 
Now, I've got a question for you. It's rhetorical, but answer it in your heart. Have you ever struggled with comparison? Is that like one person in the room? (laughs) Have you ever struggled with comparison? We're going to have a confessional after the service because about half of you struggle with lying. (laughs) For real. I know a little bit about comparison. I was the youngest of three. I have an older brother. I took on my dad's business uh, in real estate and house flipping and all that. So I was in his shadow for many years. He'd done it for 30 years and now I'm brand new. And so uh, I'm in his shadow. And then I took this role here at Northwest Church and I followed a great theologian. I followed a great pastor. And people sometimes tell me, he's like, you don't have to fill Pastor Steve's shoes. I'm like, I've never tried and never will. But you know why? I I appreciate some of you have said that to me, and you're just trying to encourage my heart, and thank you for that. But I have a long history of understanding what it means to be in someone's shadow. Since I was a boy, it's not something that was new to me when I came here. And so you learn how to be confident in the Lord when that's your lot in life. I mean, when you're the youngest of three and you're the younger brother and you're the all, always that one, you know, I'm the youngest of all the, all the crowds that I was a part of almost my whole life. And even with Bridget and I raising older boys, uh, we're at the soccer game and we're always the youngest parents. Everybody's like in their 50s and we're like, yeah, we're 33 And so you sort of, you have a way of comparing your life to other people, but you're doing it ahead kind of. And so it's very strange. I've always been in that frame of life. So I understand what it is to compare. And I also know what it is for Jesus to to continually remove this thing from my heart and from my life, to be who he calls me to be, to be faithful to what he says. And that's what we need to hear today. The disciples are trying to stop someone else instead of celebrate the fact that they're doing something in the name of Jesus. And that's what we've got to do too. We've got to learn to celebrate and honor and encourage and desire more from other people. There are no MVPs or goats in heaven. Most valuable players or greatest of all time. If you don't know what a goat is, you always struggled with that word when they say that person's the goat. It's greatest of all time. I didn't know that, by the way. But that's worldly greatness. Greatness cannot be defined by comparing yourself to other people. That's the point. Greatness is not defined by comparing yourself. to Greatness in the kingdom is about being faithful to God, no matter what that looks like in this world. Are you faithful to the Lord? Well, the last point I want to make is true greatness means that we deal with our sin. I probably would reword this last point. I would say it this way. True greatness requires us to deal with our sin. Verse 42, this is the fun part of the passage, guys. Put your seatbelt on. Don't leave now. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into an unquenchable fire where the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. And then he talks about the foot and also the eye. It's better, it's better for us that we be maimed or crippled um, than to go to hell is what he's saying. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another." 
At first glance, this text does not look like it's connected to the conversation. But when you read it again and again and again, which I had to, because I needed to get it. Like, why? How does this connect? Typically, we kind of pull these passages apart. But Jesus is referring to the seriousness of harming one of these little ones. He starts by talking about one of these little ones, causing one of these little ones to stumble. And the terminology is actually a play on words because he's got the child in his arms and he's got the conversation that they're having about who's the greatest, and then they go to wanting to prevent somebody else's ministry. So he's talking about what true greatness is. And here's what it's not. True greatness is not that we are willing in our sin to go after or aspire to something in the world that actually steps on the people that we're called to serve. That's what he's talking about. When we use this verse, when we talk about cutting off the hand, which is super graphic, by the way. Anyways, when we talk about cutting off the leg and plucking out the eye, we usually use that for personal sin. And I want to submit something to you today. He's not just talking about your personal private sin. He's talking about the sin that affects other people. He starts with saying the sin that causes other ones to stumble, the little ones, the man that has a ministry, the child that they overlook. He's saying that in our sin and in our pursuit of self, what we end up doing is sinning in such a way where we step on everyone else to climb the ladder of greatness and ultimately put down other people that Jesus sees and he calls us to serve. That's what he's talking about. And he's saying that we need to have a severity of dealing with that kind of sin because if you're gonna follow Jesus and you're gonna pursue a path of greatness as it were in the kingdom, then you're gonna have to do it the way Jesus did. You're gonna have to humble yourself. We're going to have to submit ourselves. We're going to have to focus on what he focuses on, love what he loves and serve the way that he calls us. Remember, he warned about the leaven of the Pharisees. That's what the leaven of the Pharisees was. The leaven, it was full of sin. I don't care about other people. I just care about being seen by other people. That's the toxicity of harmful religion. When I use that, that, that word, you know, there's a good religion, James chapter one, it's to take care of people. But then toxic religion is to use them. And Jesus is confronting that in the disciples. He's like, you guys having this conversation about who's the greatest among you? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's not about worldly greatness. It's about using whatever you have in whatever way you can to serve the least of these. And if you do that, you bring a smile to your father. That's what it's about. That's what Christianity is actually about. But here's the crazy part. And I just want to direct our attention to it because it's right here. He talks about hell. He talks about hell. Now, we haven't had a good message on hell in a long time. But here's the deal. Jesus talks about hell quite a bit. Yeah, he does. And he makes this comment in verse 48. He describes hell as a place where worms eat and they do not die and the fire is not quenched. When he gives this reference, the original Greek word was Gehenna. And this was a Hebrew reference, or it's connected to the Hebrew re reference for the Valley of, of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom was an actual place that existed in Jesus's time. It was located south of Jerusalem, and it was basically a garbage dump. It was a waste place where dead animals were, where the garbage was placed. And you would see smoke at times. They would set it on fire. They would burn it up. It'd be like our, our waste, uh, the places that we have, the dump. It would be like that. 
And they would walk by it because that's their mode of transportation. It was something you would see. It was something that you would smell. And he uses that as a picture of what hell is like. And he makes this comparison. He goes, you guys know the Valley of Hinnom? Yep. It's a place where the worm eats the carcass of a dead animal. It's the place where the fire burns up the trash. He goes, here's the difference though. Hell is a place where the fire is never quenched. Hell is a place where the worm never stops eating. That's a scary thought, isn't it? And here's what I think about this. The path of worldly greatness is most literally a path to hell. That's what he's talking about. And he's confronting them. He's confronting them. Don't forget who he's talking to. Yes, they're close to him, right? But he's talking to a group of people. All of them will leave him. We can talk about how great the disciples are for a second, but just remember, when crucifixion time comes, every person walks away. Judas betrays him. He's talking to a betrayer, and he's talking to people that turn away. And he's telling them, if you guys keep going down this road of wanting to pursue worldly greatness, of wanting people to see you, of wanting to be better than people rather than serve the ones that I came to serve like you, if you go down that path, that is a path to hell. That's when Jesus would say things like, wide and broad is the path of destruction and narrow, narrow is the road that leads to life. These are not popular messages today. They weren't popular messages then. (laughs) I can't imagine that Jesus' disciples wanted to have another high praise song after that. No, he said that and they had to like sit with those words. See, I want you to understand this. That path That path leads to hell. But this path, (laughs) this path leads to life. And guys, you need to know what path you're on. You need to know what path you're on. And then he gives us evidence for us to know which path we're on. Do you serve people? Will you serve the least of these? Do you want to serve? He takes the child in his arms. Is this what you're thinking about? Other people put down, but you actually put up. You, you You want, you don't just serve out of one of other people to see. It's not just serving. It's why we do, why we love, why we do it. Because you can develop a religion behind that as well. And he's talking about this is evidence of what path that you're on. You know, the apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 16, he also gives this language. He says, test yourself to know that you're in the faith. He's talking to a church. Test yourself. Make sure that you name Jesus Christ as Lord. Make sure that you're forgiven of your sin and make sure that the Holy Spirit lives inside your heart and he's motivating you, compelling you to that which is right and righteous. Make sure that it's not a religion about God. Make sure that it's a relationship with him and you're becoming more like him. The path of true greatness follows the way of Jesus by serving and sacrificing. And I wanted to close with this thought. I'm going to ask you a question. It's rhetorical again, just in case. You know. How are we serving our families in the name of Jesus? How, how are we serving our church? How are we serving our world? The Lord gave me a verse, uh, Luke chapter 4. Maybe you've read this before, but I just, it was a thought this morning as I was praying. It uh, says this, verse 38, he got up and he left the synagogue and he entered Simon's home. This is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever. She was suffering and they asked him to help her and standing over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her. Look at this part though. And she immediately got up and waited on them. 
That's what she did. She got a touch from Jesus and she immediately got up and waited on them. That to me is what encountering Jesus is like, is when our life is radically touched by Jesus, the next thing we do is what can I do to serve the one that just touched me? <laughs> it's not thank you for the forgiveness and I'll see you when I die. That's the, I was going to say American gospel. That's not a fair way to say that. The Western version. All right. The one without sacrifice, the one without giving our life. I'll receive the benefits, but I won't yield my life. That's not Christianity. That's not Christianity. Forgiveness for, we, for when we sin, heaven when we die, and we live in the valley of Hinnom the rest of our life. That's not Christianity. It's not. And I just want to remind you today, as Jesus reminded his followers, we have evidence to know what path we're on. And today is always the day of salvation. And today is always the day to get our hearts right with the Lord. And we say, like, this is Simon's mother-in-law. Lord, I want to respond like that. Touch my life that I would just get up and serve you with everything that I've got. Everything that I am. Not for me, Lord, for you, for your glory. That's all I want to do. And I believe that the Lord will do that. He answers that request. He answers that prayer. And so let's, let's close in praying that prayer today. Would you stand with me as we do? I want to encounter the Lord in Jesus' name. Thank you, God. Before we pray, I know I told you I was going to pray and close. Oh. I was praying this morning, and um, this is prophetic word, Potentially, I, I, well, I believe it's for someone here. I, this is for a 9 a.m. service. That's it. That's just for, I prayed this morning. I had a picture of somebody. You came today and you're wore out. We're all tired, okay? So just hold on. <laughs> you came today and you're wore out. It's like after you get done with a, with a workout that just, just beats you up. And, and the difference is with you, you just haven't recovered. You haven't been replenished and I, I, I believe you're going to know what I'm saying. You are so wore out. It's like it goes to your bones. Like you just, you're restless. You, it's, it's like you feel it all the time. You walk with it. You live with it. Ben, I'm just wore out. I've tried to change this. It just hasn't changed. I just want to say to you, the first thing I felt like the Lord wanted to say to you was he sees you. Sometimes in our pain and in the lack of an answer, we just need to know we're seen by the Lord. And I felt him say that to you today. He sees you. And the second thing wasn't just healing for you, like a big swath of healing and all this is going to go away. It was wisdom for you. Is that you need wisdom more than you just need God to take all this stuff away. You don't even know what this stuff might be that's brought you here. And it was like, tell that person that he's going to give them wisdom to know what it looks like. And it's going to come partially through relationship with someone else. So Lord, do that. I also had a picture of somebody that's heart was very closed today. Even being here, it's hard for you because of the things that have happened uh, in the past. And the Lord wants to bring healing to a wound. It's projecting into your future. And now, that could be general for a lot of us in the room, but I, it's very specific. I felt that it was, you, you just know. You, you, you came here today and you know that you're, the minute I say it, your heart is closed, you know it's you. You know it's you. God wants to open your heart and bring healing right there. And the last thing was I, I was praying for people for physical healing, and I saw someone had a wrist, and you got up this morning, and you put your hand on your bed to get up out of your bed, and it just was pain. It just was like, ah, your wrist, it hasn't healed, or it's recent, but your wrist has not healed. Yeah, okay, I see you. I see you, Tom. 
We're going to pray for that in Jesus' name. We're going to pray. And then there's chest pain. Um, there's chest pain. It's concerning you. It's not been there a long time, but it's been there long enough to start concerning you. Actually, who is that? You have chest pain. If you're if you, not embarrassed, would you say, okay. All right, is there anybody else? You just, it's been concerning you lately? All right, we see one and then also up there, okay. And then also I see for the wrist as well, if that's you. If those are you, could you just put your hands out before the Lord? We're, we're asking God to do this. And if that's not you, will you start praying with me right now as we close? Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you're healing our bodies. I pray anyone in this room or online that needs healing in their wrist, they got up this morning and they felt the pain as soon as they tried to get up out of bed. Lord, we pray that you would bring healing to that in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for that over that chest pain that it would just go, that it would literally just leave right now. The pain would leave and whatever is causing it would subside. We ask for that to change even today. And I pray also for the person that is being honest about their heart being closed. Lord, we don't shame them. In fact, I pray that you would break that shame that might be over them. And Lord, I pray that you would also bring healing over them today. We ask for healing for each one. For Maybe it's more than one, but healing in the name of Jesus. And the person that's wore out, Lord, I thank you for wisdom. I speak wisdom over them, strength over them, that they would recover and they would re be replenished in the name of Jesus. And now we pray over our word, God, we want to be people that are on the path to true greatness, not in comparison to other people, but Lord, before you and before you alone, we want to serve you and we want to serve you only. And we do that, Lord, by serving the least because they matter the most to you. And God, I pray that you would break down our pride and you would shatter it and cause us to be a people that literally will wash feet if that's what it takes. That's who we are. We are foot washers. We're not looking for prominence. We're asking for significance that what we are and what we do matters. And we thank you that we, that we do matter and that what we do in the name of Jesus matters. We ask that, Lord, we would receive that greater measure of understanding and revelation and the knowledge of your will today to serve you better. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.